0: You are listening to the Twibley Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for Worst Ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Welcome back to Twibley, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, hold the pickles, hold the letum, special orders, don't upset them. It's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. Hold the letum? Hold the letum?
1: Yeah, I had to
0: make it rhyme. It's supposed to be hold the lettuce. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: remember. I was like, have I been mispronouncing that leafy vegetable's name wrong for my entire life? (laughs) No. No, I have not.
0: Okay. Phew. That was the old Burger King jingle. Yes. That's a bit of a marketing genius right there because I think that was like, what, 70s, early 80s? But like Burger King was desperately at the time trying to like say we're so much better than McDonald's. Right. And that like hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset right. us. Implies that if you tell the people over at McDonald's to like, you know, don't put any pickles on that, they're going to get like all flustered and pissed yeah, off yeah. about yep. it. yep. But truth is, nobody does
1: there was a, a kid that we went to school with he was younger than us and i can't remember his name he's very big and we were sitting out behind the shop and having typical like high school conversations like what do you like better mcdonald's or burger king and yeah. i said you know i like mcdonald's and somebody else oh, i like mcdonald's and he goes burger king i said really he goes yeah hold the pickles hold the lettuce have it your way mother <laughs> <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny <sighs> i know who that is that was dougie it wasn't dougie it was so funny have a your way motherfucker. it just made me cackle it was like it was funny enough that it, i ended up i actually prefer the whopper now i think every because every time i have one which is not very often mm-hmm. i can hear that conversation in my head again <laughs> it was so funny yeah i don't really go to
0: the fast food places too often outside of September. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm gonna go either way with those two, I do prefer McDonald's, but I do also like Burger King. Like I'm not in the Coke and Pepsi world. Like some people right. have such like brand loyalty. It's like I like McDonald's. Over you know I don't like Burger King. It's like it is perfectly easy to like both. It's um, I agree. I really like. Yeah, I really really like the uh, the original chicken sandwich here, the torpedo.
1: Uh, from at Burger King. Oh yeah, at Burger King. Yes, I remember that. That was definitely a good sandwich, and I liked when they oh, used to do the, Do they really? Okay, oh, I haven't been yeah. to Burger King in a long time. In my return to eating uh, animal protein, I have still not gone back and eaten fast food yet, and it's been several months. So maybe I will treat myself to something I shouldn't eat, and go eat a torpedo-shaped chicken sandwich from Burger King because those were really good.
0: I went to because uh, I love Taco Bell. Taco Bell was like pretty much my favorite fast food yep, for like for years. the
1: longest time. Yeah,
0: I remember when it first opened in Dartmouth, I used to go so often that my friend like challenged me to document how many times I go, you know, <laughs> just to count. <laughs> right. That kind of, you know, stuff you're doing, your stupid yeah. shit you're doing your kid. Yep. Yeah. 19... I think it was 1994. I went so often it averaged out to every other day. Jeez. Yeah. And now, like I said, outside of September, I'll go to Taco Bell maybe once a year, twice a year.
1: Right. I'm not a I'm not a Taco Bell guy. I go to Taco Bell. I think I've been there twice. Twice in the last ten years. Oh, really? Not my fast food of choice. I know that they definitely have stuff there that people really like. I know uh Cindy used to really like the Gorditas.
0: Oh right. I used to like this thing they had over there called the Cholito. Yep. Which was a chili and cheese burrito, or as my friend Greg used to so eloquently put it, the sh*t witch. (laughs) (laughs) But now, I mean, the whole thing is like, for the amount of food and the amount of money that I'm going to spend at Taco Bell, I can just go down to this like burrito shop downtown New Bedford called No Problemos, she plug, and you know get a Diablo burrito, and I'll spend the same amount of money, you know yeah. what I mean? It's actually, like, really good and quality food as opposed to uh, lesser stuff. So. Right,
1: talk well, about well so. it's a sort of standard fast food. Like, for me, I typically go get, like, a slice of pizza. There's a couple of pizza places in town that sells by the slice. So I can go get right. two slices of pizza and a beer for, like, the same amount of money as I would spend at Burger King. And I know that they made it there fresh with ingredients that I could see. And
0: All right. Uh, So, before we get into our show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff.
1: Uh, All right. I'm ready.
0: So, this came up in a conversation a couple of weeks ago when I was playing my music league game with my haunted house friends. Mm -hmm. So, there are different classifications for instruments. Such as a flute would be considered a woodwind, even though they're not necessarily made out of wood. Right. Uh, But a flute would be considered a woodwind. A saxophone would be considered a brass instrument. A guitar or a banjo is a string instrument. Yep. But a piano, Jeff, where does piano lie? Okay. What kind of an instrument is a
1: piano? Ah, well, at the end of the show, we'll have that conversation, Bill.
0: Okay. Okay. But this is the week beginning January the 29th, and it is officially 100%. Your turn to start.
1: Is it? I'm happy to lead off the show today. So we begin this week on January 29th. So January 29th, 1845, poem that is most often associated with Halloween, and I'll explain that in a minute, uh, is first published in New York City. That poem is The Raven, probably one of the most famous American poems of all time, written by... Edgar Allan Poe, America's first really famous writer, worldwide famous writer. You know the poem Yeah, what would you say 18 1845.
0: 1845. Huh? Huh? Yeah. He was way back then. Yeah, that's really old. It was published in a newspaper too. Yeah. Yes. That's really old considering like the fact that everybody still knows it is familiar with it and is to an extent contemporary
1: it still holds up and minus a couple of weird vocabulary words in there like surcease or napenthe yeah yeah welcome to my world chef <laughs> okay well i know what those well, i know what those words mean but um it's still readable and accessible without 7 million footnotes which is not the case for a lot of the writing that came out in the 1700s and early 1800s in europe so it still has this contemporary feel to it it still feels very clean and new and it captures an air of like menace that is missing in so many other similar poems that have come after it even in poe's own writing uh the raven sort of stands out as one that it is as perfect a poem as you can make
0: i remember being in school and our teacher we had this teacher I, i know i brought her up before we had this teacher in the sixth and eighth grade mrs philippe what she was doing teaching at a Catholic school is beyond me. She was so macabre. It was great. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she, I remember for Halloween one year, she led a, uh, she read us the Telltale Heart yeah, from Edgar Allan Yeah, good Rally story. Poe. Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. But, like, I don't know if that's kind of on the Catholic school curriculum, you know what I mean? But she was, like, so into, like, horror and goth and macabre and stuff like that. She was cool. That's great. Yeah. And I also know uh, and remember that we discussed Murders in the room Morgue, uh, yes. which was the first uh, murder mystery yep. uh, story.
1: And I think the first orangutan uh, story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it may very well be, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert, And yes. also, I still feel like a dummy discovering that the story does not take place in a morgue. I really thought it did. Yes. <laughs> but I, I read it recently, like a year ago, and I was like,
1: Oh, that's where's the, the part
0: in the morgue? Oh, it's I, not it's the name
1: of the street. Oh,
0: yeah, uh, morgue is the name of the street, and rue is how you say street in,
1: in French, French. Yeah, in French. Um, yeah, I happen to see the one man show that John Aston put on, that used to put on. I don't know if he still does it. Called "Once Upon a Midnight," where the ghost of Edgar Allan Poe comes back to the theater to a theater and accounts oh, right. for his life. Right, and in that he, because yep. he's a he's a Poe scholar, aside from a person who looks uncannily like pictures of Edgar Allan Poe. Right. So he said that, you know, whenever he's heard this poem performed, it's always performed in this sort of heavy, so I'll do like the first couple of lines of the way that he describes it as, oh, once upon a midnight dreary while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. It's like long and deep. And when he said, he said yeah. what Poe's intention was that it was frenzied. So it was more like oh, once upon a midnight dream while I pondered weak and weary over uh, many uh, quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. And it builds in fear as the poem goes on to the point right, where at yeah. the end he's almost panicked screaming. It was awesome. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. You can
0: almost put that voice with like post picture too. You can. Yeah.
1: yeah, you totally, totally
0: can. All right. Moving on from old time horror to modern horror. More or less. So January the 30th, 1992, inventor Ray Kurzweil publishes his first book, The Age of Intelligent Machines. Wow. And that's all. Yeah, he's talking about artificial intelligence and uh, predicting the popularity of the internet. This is 1992.
1: Yeah, 92 wasn't uh, it, It seems like that would be a conversation that was going a lot further back, but I know that Kurzweil, as a futurist was looking at sort of the application of the technology and how we might use it. Uh, He was very close. At least history has proven that his predictions for the future were very similar to how the future actually progressed on. So his descriptions of how the consumer would use the Internet, how businesses would dominate the Internet, how the Internet would organize as become this like self-organizing principle under a small subset of businesses that then sold access. Like, all of that stuff is in his book. His discussions oh, wow. about AI are related to using it to not, you know, in the sort of traditional science fiction sense, like, kill all humans. But it's, right. it's used as a way to, like, sift through 7 million cancer pictures to see... What this particular picture shows, if this picture shows a possible cancer cell, because it can sift through those 7 million pictures in the blink of an eye where a human can't. So it can be a lot more accurate with that kind of data, and it requires a level of discernment that artificial intelligence brings to the table.
0: I mean, look at the
1: fingerprint database. Right.
0: You know, as opposed to what it was 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, the, the the way we do fingerprints now, it's like, hey, we got this fingerprint. You put it into the, the scanner and you get an answer back in seconds, yep. not even a minute, seconds. Yeah, we found this guy. He lives in Hoboken, New Jersey. Right. You
1: know? And you, just, but you just, fingerprinting... just put his finger on the window of a Taco Bell. Get him! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he should have got a Burrito downtown New Bedford. He would have been safer. <laughs>
0: so... Yeah, I mean, think about like that kind of technology. This always, always going to be a techno-fear. Yes. You know? Yep. Uh, I think that everybody is a little too fearful about the AI overlords. I think, you know, that would go back to Hal losing his shit oh, yeah in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It goes back to that. It goes back even further. Like, there's a film called gog i don't know if you've ever seen that one with two robots gog Uh, and magog in this underground lab that i uh, i've never
0: seen it but we have talked about it on the show
1: it might have been the first color science fiction movie there was something that stood out about it that we did talk about on the show
0: all right I'm not really afraid of AI, and honestly, this is going to sound real pompous, I'm not as impressed by it, except for like in the fingerprinting and all that. As far as like art goes, and like the term papers, and even my, I don't want to say her name too loud because she'll pop up, but Alexa, even her,
1: (laughs) it's like- It's always listening, always listening.
0: Like, I mean, it's cool, I'll ask her to tell me jokes- I'll ask her what her favorite Pink Floyd song is, but I'm not, like, terrified of it, like, you know, be- becoming sentient and turning on my automatic vacuum cleaner when I won't want it on. Right, right. This floor is messy, Bill. What are you doing?
1: <laughs> All of a sudden, you're living in a combination of Terminator 2 and Maximum Overdrive. Nobody wants that. Yeah, I
0: just wanted a joke. Just tell me a damn knock-knock joke and <laughs> leave me alone.
1: Just put on satellite radio, please. <laughs> I'm more interested in how it's used to do things like search through disease databases and correlate information. I think that that's amazing. And the more computers that you can put into the matrix of things that are doing that kind of number crunching and analytical data interpretation, the faster we'll get to things like cures for heart disease, which I have a vested interest in, or cures for brain cancer or cures for uh, other things or development of new like metals that make it more likely that we can fly in space and other things so there's a lot that goes into it that i think is good and those are the applications even vaccines absolutely
0: yep
1: all right let's go on to the 31st january 31st 1981 blondie american rock and roll band from new york uh goes number one with their song the tide is high oh I like that song. You like that song? It's not one of my favorite Blondie songs. It's okay.
0: I heard it. Well, yeah. That, there's the thing. There's the thing. Like, not, is it one of my favorite Blondie songs? No. I would much rather listen to, like, Atomic hanging on the telephone right. one way or another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But The Tine is High, I like it fine. I think it's a fine song.
1: I, I like. Uh, I prefer Call Me. Right around the same time period, like when they were doing like the more experimental music with disco and 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 yeah. other stuff, as opposed to like yes. the sort of harder punky things that they were doing before that.
0: Right. This song, "The Tide Is High," comes off their album called Auto American, yeah. which was a huge departure from what Blondie sounded like up until then. Right. This is like 1980. 1980- Eighty one. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, nineteen eighty one when this went to number one. But the album Auto America came out nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. And this is that little time frame where everybody in the music industry with any kind of credibility lost their ever loving minds. Okay.
1: <laughs> Dynasty
0: by Kiss came out the year before. That was their little attempted at disco. Right. Rod Stewart put out a disco album. Uh The Rolling Stones put out like a disco-ish album. And Blondie certainly had some experimental uh, music going on over here with Auto American. Yep. It, it alienated a lot of fans, for sure. I think Blondie broke up not long. I think that was their last album. I think I, it, Or
1: maybe they did one more album after that. No, I think it was, too. And that that's the weird record that had Rapture on it. Yes. With uh, the first, technically the first charting rap song with Fab Five Freddy, uh, who would go right. on to become a staple on MTV for a few years. My problem with The Tide is High is the same problem I have with lots of other bands who do Jamaican reggae music, but don't really credit it. The only time that like reggae music charts is if white people do it, which for some reason really bothers me.
0: Yeah yeah because this is a cover You're right, right. Titus High originally was by a band called the Paragons in 1967 right and it was a b-side yeah it was a b-side to their single only a smile
1: right I, I'm, I'm, gonna be your number one.
0: I'm not the kind of man who gives up just like that so, it's not the
1: things you do that really hurts me bad, But it's the way you do the things you do to me. So,
0: I mean, yeah, it's very close. I very mean, close. I it's got the same kind of feel to it. But, yeah, you got Blondie, this, you know, American band with punk rock roots. I mean, if you like a song, you want to cover it, I get it. But I wonder how much of this was Debbie Harry and the guys of Blondie or if this was a record company decision.
1: Oh, I, yeah, I'm sure that it, you know, it, I mean, the the style of records that were being made by, I'm not gonna say midlist because they were really popular, but popular bands at the time was like one or two covers, one or two brand new singles, and some filler tracks. Just the right. it's just the way the record companies t- tended to work that day. Creedence Clearwater Revival worked that day, worked that way, Love and Spoonful worked that way, like that's just the way it sort of was. Uh, yep. So it's, exp- it's understandable. On, on auto america as well i guess it, i would be less sort of grumpy about the song existing if it was a ska song because ska and punk are tied more closely together but it's not it's slower paced like reggae song as opposed to the that you get in a ska tune right i don't know yeah that's maybe that's uh-huh. me, me one... i think
0: and this is me being a music nerd this is one of those things where Because I know so much about music, or I use, you know, I've been obsessed with music all my life. Right. Where somebody that doesn't know this information won't understand it like this. So I would feel a lot better with Blondie covering this song if they were a British punk rock band as opposed to them being a New York City punk rock band. And the reason for that is there was this loft that all the bands in the British punk scene used to hang out at. Right. The guy that like lived there used to play a lot of reggae music in that loft. Right. Which is why if you listen to like early police, there's a lot of like um, you know, reggae influence to their music and you know, the specials could be tracked down to that loft and a lot of bands. Right. You know, of that time. Because they all picked up on this reggae stuff because the guy used to play the records all the time. Right. And because Blondie isn't in that circle, uh, I don't buy it.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's us just me being a snob. No, Sorry. Well, hey, you know, snob away. We all have our different opinions with regard to where music came from and why it's important and whether or not it was a good choice to record. And it's always good to sort of to talk those things out and air them out a little and see if those opinions need to be sort of reevaluated. So far, with the tide is high, no, mine doesn't. (laughs) Song isn't very good. Uh, Yeah, and uh, Uh, if I'm going to listen to a
0: Blondie album, it's not going to be this one, right? But I like the song fine. All right, moving on. February the first, Jeff, we've got a celebrity birthday. We do. Uh, Yep, February the first, nineteen sixty-five. Actress Sherilyn Fenn, Gesundheit. probably best, <laughs> probably best known for her made-for-TV movie Bigfoot with Danny Bonaduce <laughs> and Barry Williams.
1: <laughs> Danny Bonaduce. Oh yeah, I actually, I remember that movie and them in it, but I have yeah not. I can't remember who Sherilyn Fenn. Who the hell was Sherilyn? Was she the Bigfoot in that movie? Did she like no, do the motion no, no, capture or was, something?
0: No, she was the cop in the uh, in the helicopter. Oh, you're gonna know. You are going to know Sherilyn Fenn from the 80s comedy Just One of the Guys. Oh, my God. Yeah, I haven't heard the name of that
1: movie in forever.
0: Who is she in that one? Yeah, she was the girl that had the crush on the main character, but ended up banging her brother.
1: Oh, oh my. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, it doesn't put a face to the name or anything, but I remember the character and she had had nice hair.
0: Yes, yes, she did. And I think everybody mostly is going to know Sherilyn Fenn from David Lynch show Twin Peaks, yep. where she played Audrey Horn. Beautiful, beautiful woman. And I actually got to meet her probably about six months ago.
1: Oh, did you? That's cool. Yeah.
0: So there was a uh, not a Comic-Con. It was a horror con uh, over in Marlboro, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. flavor country. Right. <laughs> and I was there on the Friday when there was a very, very you know f- small crowd uh, and I was up there promoting my haunted house and I was up there in costume. I was in character. I was right. was my voodoo priest, Papa. So I saw that Sherilyn Fenn had zero line. So I went up and I had my friend uh, Sophia with me and Sophia doesn't know who Sherilyn Fenn is. But, right. You know, she just kind of stood back and I went up to Sherilyn Fenn and I'm talking to her in character Mm -hmm. so I'm doing the whole um, you know poor accent right? and I said I'm very happy and I'm very sad right now because I'm happy because I saw your name on the marquee and I said oh I gotta get me a ticket I gotta go over there I gotta see Sherilyn Fenn I go and here I am and I'm standing right in front of you and I'm very sad because I wear glasses and I don't have them on right now (laughs) and I can't see you (laughs) And she, like, actually grabbed my hand. She's, she held my hand. She's like, oh, my God. She's like, that's so sweet. She's like, I thought you were going to say you wanted to talk to the other girl because Heather Langenkamp from uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, Heather Langenkamp was, like, two tables down, but she wasn't there. Oh. She was like, oh, I thought you were going to tell me you wanted to talk to the other girl. I was like, no, I'm here to see you. <laughs> And we, like I said, I go. I got these silly contact lenses in, and I can't see anything. So the guy that like handles the money and all that goes, it's it's her. I I go. You can take my word for it. (laughs) It's her. Oh, that's so. I go. I go. Hold on. I I usually don't like to do the break the character, but you know when I say tough time calls for tough action or something like that, Right, right? Right. So I pulled my glasses out of my pocket and I put them on, and I looked at her and I go, oh shit. (laughs) <laughs> and then I take the glasses off and I put them back in my pocket and I winked at her and I said goodbye and
1: that was me meeting Sherilyn Fenn oh that's funny yeah that is very funny I, if I had, <laughs> if it had been me I would have been like um weren't you in Bigfoot? and at that point she probably <laughs> would have had security escort me out what's Danny Bonaduce really like? yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, with, did Barry Williams and Danny Bonaduce hate each other? just curious <laughs> alright let's go on to the second February 2nd, 1887, Bill, it's a very yes. famous American holiday, uh, and it begins being celebrated, and I'm saying that with air quotes, uh, in 1887, as I said, and that is the first Groundhog Day, oh. which would be repeated Yay. every year <laughs> since then, like some movie with Bill Murray in it. Yeah. I saw that movie in the theater. Yeah, so did I. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> I did. I saw it twice twice in 2 days. Uh, just to be ironic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I saw them in the theater. That was like a sleeper movie. Like it didn't do great in the theater, right. but it really picked up steam on cable television. It definitely did. So So this original Groundhog Day 188 they've been milking this freaking bullshit cow for how many years? <laughs> 100, 135 not, years? I'm not
1: allowed to do math on this show anymore, Bill, as I, as you oh, yeah. reminded me. Yeah, like 137 years. I wonder how many Punxsutawney fills they keep in reserve, because you never know when the same one. you reach into the cage and it's like, oh, he's dead. These, these animals only live a couple of years and we need another one, quick! Find us a groundhog somewhere. Well, it's probably one not too far away from them because they're everywhere. The superstition
0: behind Groundhog Day is...
1: If the groundhog sees its
0: shadow, then it gets scared and it goes back into its hole, which means a long winter. But if it doesn't see its shadow, then a short winter. Right. But they're like, oh, no, we got six more weeks of winter. I'm looking at my calendar now. Winter is seven weeks from Groundhog Day. Right. It is a weird, archaic superstition that... I don't know. Other other than that, what what else are you gonna go to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania for?
1: Right. Nothing. I, I feel like there's probably an almanac connection in here somewhere, which is a you know pretty much a book of farmer spells and and predictions for weather that rarely, if ever, come true. So. Oh right. Red skies at night, sailors delight. Well, no, that one comes, yeah. that one comes true, but it's it's like you know, well, if the last three years were snowy, this year won't be snowy or. They predict how much and, and what months will be good or bad for planting, and if none of it is scientific. It's all based on, I don't know, runes and dowsing and the flightless birds <laughs> and a cat named Max and some other stupid stuff. But I'm sure that... And a I'm a, a, sure a that, groundhog named Phil. <laughs> groundhog named Punxsutawney Phil. And while it's as, as dorky a holiday, and I'm saying that with air quotes again, as you can get, because it's certainly not recognized by any state or government or or anything. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah, but I don't think you get the day off on Groundhog Day. You know, if the groundhog sees a shadow, you get six more hours of overtime. <laughs> but it's one that's like sort of a like our typical weird holidays. Only this one, it gets on the news. Chocolate Cake Day right. doesn't get on the news, but Groundhog Day does because it's meant to sort of tie into the the end of the winter and what is usually a long winter by the time we get to uh, six weeks after February second. While I don't technically celebrate the holiday, my brother Mark, friend of the show only cuts his hair once a year and he cuts his hair on groundhog day so february 2nd is the, oh, day, well. the day the day the day that he gets shorn he gets his hair buzzed off yeah yep
0: does, does he go somewhere to do it or does he just do
1: it i think he goes somewhere but i can't i can't remember I know I asked that question at one point and he <laughs> answered me and I then I started talking about cooking or something and that was the end of the conversation.
0: He goes out in the middle of the woods as a right. ritual. His, <laughs> he, he,
1: he lets the rabbits eat the hair off his head in his backyard.
0: <laughs> All right. So moving on. February the 3rd, 1959. The day the music died, Jeff. It oh. is uh, the day of the airplane crash that took Buddy Holly, oh. the Big Bopper, Ooh. and Richie Valens out of the mix. Oh, yeah. And... And I know this sounds like bad news, and it, and it is. It's, it's it's It was a terrible day for rock and roll, but that really got a lot of dominoes pushing, and, and I don't think music would exist like it does today if that incident didn't happen.
1: No, I, I agree. Uh, not only did, did the deaths of these three guys and the pilot on that plane kind of bring about an end to their careers, because, well, so yes and no. Uh, It brought about an immediate end to their careers, but Buddy Holly's would travel on a little bit longer because they posthumously released uh, singles of his, like Peggy Sue, which actually came out after he died. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that, and I learned that just uh, last week. It pretty much wiped out rock and roll music entirely because at the time, Elvis Presley was in Germany because he was in the service, so he wasn't making records. Oh, right. And Jerry Lee Lewis had pretty much married his cousin and, and screwed himself out of being at all famous in rock and roll because that was a giant scandal. The other guys who were popular at the time were like Carl Perkins. They went back and were making country records after Elvis did the Blue Suede Shoes cover. Right. And radio stations weren't playing black musicians. So all of this stuff died in it. Between 57 and 63, popular music was like Patsy Cline and Perry Como and Bobby Vinton. Oh, God. Yeah.
0: Oh, Oh, Bobby Vinton, my grandmother loved oh, Bobby. Oh my god,
1: Vinton. yeah. My dad used to think that he was the bee's knees when he had his variety show. Ugh. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. up until now I thought your father had some decent taste. Oh, but I no, guess my not. dad was awful. My dad's taste in music was astonishingly bad. <laughs> Bobby Vinton, Trini Lopez was another guy he made us listen to a hundred million thousand times. Uh. Neil Diamond, oh yeah, it was awful. The Tony Orlando and Don, it was all bad. My dad had control of the radio. It was never a good day.
0: A few years later, so this is 1959, so like three years later, four years later is when like the Beatles, 1964 was like the breakthrough year for the Beatles. That's when they first played in America. Right. But they were popular in England for a little while before that. So if those three people had lived... Richie Valens, Buddy Holly, and the Big Bopper. I mean, the Big Bopper, was a, he wasn't a musician. He was a radio DJ that happened to have a hit song. Right. He was like the uh, the Rick D's of his time. Right. Uh, except for Chantilly Lace is a thousand times better than Disco Duck. <laughs> son of a bitch.
1: A thousand. A hundred million thousand. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I still go back and listen to Chantilly Lace on purpose. When I hear Disco yeah. Duck, I, I feel like I might have wronged someone in the past, and now it's coming back to haunt me. And to show its longevity, I mean, maybe not so much
0: with the, uh, you know, the teenagers now, but you could go up to just about anybody in any generation, probably in- into the millennials, and go, "Hello, baby," and they might not know the song that it comes from, but they recognize it as it was some like a catchphrase, music, yes. Yeah, as a catchphrase or as a, you know something iconic, they recognize it for sure. The second worst thing that happened about the day the music died is it gave birth to the song American Pie by Don <laughs> McLean, which we have covered on The Worst Song Ever. Yeah,
1: yes, indeed. It also paved the way for, for it taking even longer for a sort of black artist to get on the radio because what was left over from this was Pat Boone. Pat boone oh, like yeah. the, the same sort of music that would be recorded by... Elvis and Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and Richie Valens and stuff. And it just completely sort of mayonnaised it into oblivion.
0: You know, that was the thing, too. Like, uh, you know, it wasn't too long after this, like 1964, with the Civil Rights Movement, so right. with Johnson and stuff like that. Man, if I had a time machine, I would want to go back and just, like, scream at these people. Not just because... Equal rights for all American citizens is the right thing to do, but man, you guys kept some awesome music from us. Yeah, you know, yep, music was so freaking good, but you guys squelched it down because you couldn't have black people on the radio. Right, superstitious bastards. Think,
1: think about <laughs> think about how much better the world would be if like popular radio played Big Mama Thornton or oh right, or like Screaming Jay Hawkins. You know, it would have kept that sort of rock and roll tradition alive. But they couldn't get airplay. Neither could guys like, you know. What about the Paragon? <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, Chuck Berry couldn't get airplay at the time. And yeah. it was only occasionally that, that he would show up on the radio. Well, that's because he pissed everybody off. And on. <laughs> he opened up the, uh, the Chuck Berry amusement park with a big <laughs> yellow pool in the middle of it. All right. Uh, let's wrap up the week. February 4th, Bill, uh, 1957, the first electric typewriter is made available to the public. I don't know if you are a typewriter nerd like I am. I'm not a nerd, but I have started using typewriters to do specific tasks. And while I don't have an electric one, I have a couple of manuals, but I can absolutely appreciate the productivity boost that an electric typewriter brought to the table in 1957 have you ever used an electric typewriter
0: i got a bazillion questions sir uh, before right. we go talking about whether or not i've used an electric typewriter, lay it on me i use the typewriter uh for certain applications what the f- are you using
1: a uh, typewriter for what me, I, sir? I i have uh i have people that i write letters to that write letters back to me and the, okay. my handwriting is such that it's easier for them to read and Definitely easier for me to edit if I'm doing it on a typewriter. So I use a typewriter to write back and forth to some pen pals.
0: Uh, yeah. That, that pen pal thing is cool, especially in the mail. I'm glad that tradition still yep. kind of like exists because getting letters in the mail is fun and exciting. That's the only thing I like about Christmas is like all the cards that I get. Yep. So, all right. Okay, fine. I'll let you have a pass on that. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, uh, yes I have used an electric typewriter I've actually you know I had a manual typewriter when I was a kid you know my parents bought us each mm-hmm. typewriter so we could do our we could type out our homework or whatever and then before I had a computer I had a word processor like an all in one Yep that use like a floppy disk and stuff like that. And I, lo- I wrote a lot of journal entries on those. And I still have those files like on my hard drive somewhere. I could read back right, what I right. was doing in the uh, in the era, mid-90s. I'll tell you, my friend Sophia has one and my friend Jeff has one. And uh, I don't really talk on the phone with Sophia too much, but I talk on the phone with my friend Jeff a lot. And they have a keyboard for their computer, mm-hmm. With the same kind of, like, aesthetics as a typewriter. Yes. Like like bigger keys and deeper key yep. strokes and stuff like that. And what Jeff doesn't know is the sound that goes clickety-clack, clickety-clack, finds very soothing. Yes. Cuts through the sound in my eardrum <laughs> like a freaking, like a little knife on the end of a Q-tip. Mm-hmm. It is... So loud, it is in my earpieces. Whatever, uh, whatever you type, yes. But I I get that you like the aesthetics and the uh, the feel of it, I do. But ASMR, not my bag of dope. So,
1: so mechanical keyboards like I have connected to my computers are a lot more similar, a lot more similar, a lot more similar, I guess, to electric typewriter keyboards. And what's kind of cool about an electric typewriter is that it In a manual typewriter, when you push a key down, it moves a lever that moves another lever that pivots and moves a lever on a spindle that then throws the key at the paper, right? That's kind of how it works. With an electric typewriter, all of those pieces are there, but there's an electric motor that's constantly whirring with a belt. And every time you hit a key, it has the electric motor do the actual throwing. So you don't need the leverage. You're just pushing a button that turns on a motor that moves a specific key. So you can type... I'm going to use the most Massachusetts phrase ever. If you can type fast on a manual typewriter, you can type wicked fast on an electric typewriter <laughs> because the key throw is instant. It's There's no lag yeah. between push the key and watch the thing move. What's different now between electric typewriters and keyboards and why I don't have an electric typewriter is because that engine makes noise. That motor makes noise. So it's constantly yeah. going... <laughs> the whole time it's turned on because that motor has to turn so that when you hit the keys it has power going to all of the little pinions that make the keys move. It is absolutely maddening to listen to. Oh, welcome to my world, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the keys that are maddening. It's the motor just roll, rolling and rolling and rolling in the, inside the frame. <laughs> all right, before we get on to our worst
0: song ever, Jeff, we have a holiday, our unusual holiday to celebrate. Yes. And it is February the 1st. And it is a day that we celebrate
1: year-round around here on Twibley. It is No Politics Day. It is indeed a holiday that both you and I celebrate virtually every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, I follow politics to an extent, but I follow them in an earpiece, and it doesn't get out. I don't talk politics with people. I certainly don't argue politics with people. Somebody could come up to me now with, like, the most ridiculous... Like political stance of the world. I think we should arm kittens with (laughs) AK-47s for the safety of this nation. I'm like, you know what? Okay.
1: You roll with that. Sure.
0: tabbies included.
1: Yes. I have learned uh, in some cases the hard way, but I did learn that not to say that people shouldn't step out for something that's important that they believe in and try and make change, but that's different than quote-unquote, talking politics, especially, quote-unquote, talking politics on the internet, which is a it's an exercise in frustration, and it almost always leads to somebody being unhappy, and the last thing I want to do is be a person that makes somebody unhappy, let alone me. I don't want to be unhappy. I like having conversations with people, and I like talking with people, but I'd rather talk about things that I'm excited about and love than things that make me frustrated.
0: Whatever people will say, and there's, like, a couple of real badasses out there, and they're like, yeah, I do that just to piss people off. It's like, what an interesting hobby you have. <laughs> yeah, what well, did your mom not hug you enough? I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, that's your hobby, pissing people off. I have a drone. It's pretty cool. <laughs> you yeah? know,
1: you know, I collect record drones. I collect. Like to draw. I, collect t- I have a typewriter. You should get a typewriter. <laughs> you can type out a manifesto on that thing, like the Unabomber did it. He had a manual typewriter. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't need any power at all to make that thing work and do three hundred thousand words of crazy talk. <laughs>
0: And if you need inspiration, you could always get yourself a muse. Oh, that's foreshadowing, kids. The
1: worst song ever.
0: Okay, Jeff, this was your pick. It was. This is. Now, I don't want to say it's a sacred cow, but no. some people really do love this band. So, oh, I'm one of them. Uh, Actually, I. I, yeah. I- <laughs>
1: I'm one of of the people that loves this band because Okay. I'm one of the people that loves this band. I've loved Muse for a long time. I have all but two of their records and I'll be picking those up in the next few weeks uh, just to be a completist but the song that we're talking about today is the lead track, track number one of their most recent album Will of the People (sighs) Hey man, that's not the right song. What, what is no, that? Isn't it though? No. Well, I mean, it sounds
0: exactly like it. Oh, all right. Hold on. Hold on. Maybe try try this one.
1: Blues. Yeah, that's that's exactly the same song. No, that's the reason that "Will of the People" is on the worst song ever. It's an amalgam of two dissimilar songs that are so blatantly the same as the two songs that it takes that it may as well. It, you may as well just listen to both of those other songs in order. So that, that the songs that we're joking about here are uh, "The Beautiful People" by Marilyn Manson, which is where the entire chorus for "Will of the People" comes from, "Summertime Blues" by Eddie Cochran which is the rest of the song. Muse is
0: a band that I know some people that really, really like them. You said you like them, oh, them bit. I love them, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, you know something? I never really listened to them until about three years ago. My friend Bob loves them. Former Twibbly co-host Jezebel Grace loved them. I listened to them on their recommendation and I was like, I thought Muse had a girl singer. I don't really know a lot about Muse. And I thought they had a girl singer for some reason. And then I realized that what I thought they were talking about was another band called the Throwing Muses, yep. who do have a girl singer, and I don't know anything about them either. Wow. Um, they had a song called Counting Backwards or something like that. I used, to Muse, play, I used to
1: play them on my radio show, and I could not name a song if you put a <laughs> bikey baseball bat to my head.
0: Yeah, Muse is kind of a band that I you would think I would like. And I do. I just don't really seek them out. I might go back and listen to some more because mm-hmm. what I did I, here I today, I liked. I particularly liked their earliest stuff better. Yes. It was a
1: little less electronic. They're a guitar band and they're only a three-piece. Yep. They've always had sort of studio technology when they've played. Like, there's a lot of techno beats and other things that are in their older records too. But yep. in the last two, Simulation Theory and Will of the People, the album, it's... Yep super prevalent. Like it is monstrously synthesized to the point where right. I forgot that there are other people in the band. It's like, Oh, when I suggested that we do this song, Bill, you said, after you listened to them, like, well, who are these guys? Coldplay? <laughs> Cause that's, yeah, that's like, really yeah, what they, happened with them too.
0: Yeah. It's like, they went to the Coldplay school of design, right? Yeah. Because Coldplay is another band that I kind of described Muse the same way. As I did Coldplay, which mm-hmm. was progressive rock for beginners. Yeah, got a lot of the the weirdness and avant-gardeness of progressive rock without all the virtuoso and like weird time signatures and stuff like that. But like their drummer plays very off beats. Yes, and their keyboard player, which is also the guitar player, is super busy. Yeah, like. Some of these piano and keyboard lines are like diddly, 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 for the whole song.
1: Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, it's, it's like that, Angus Young. It's yeah. it's yeah, it's super duper layered, and they're able to pull off a lot of this stuff, you know, live because they're using synthes- uh, synthesizers that are linked to different uh, like digital appliances that are stuck on Matt Bellamy's guitar and stuff, and sequencers and buttons, yeah, mini buttons, all these other things, and are able to play it off. That isn't what brings us to bringing this crummy song to the worst song ever. It's It's the fact that it is so blatantly the beautiful people that I'm surprised Marilyn Manson didn't send him a cease and desist order as soon as the record came out.
0: The the song wasn't even being done, like, getting recorded and he's on the phone with his lawyers. The other thing, too, about Muse, as I was uh, going through their catalog, like I said, I'm going to start off with some of their early stuff Mm -hmm. because it seems to me...
1: Uh, They're British, right? They are very British, yes.
0: British politics, even though we said we don't talk about it, uh, but British politics are very similar to American politics. Yes. Where there's a right and a left uh, that don't agree with each other. It's just that they yell so politely. (laughs) (laughs) yes they just sound polite but it seems to me that muse has fallen down whoever the british version of alex jones's rabbit
1: hole is oh i think it's just alex jones well alex jones is a very british sounding name so okay it's true uh i've always joked i mean like i said i I listen to muse a lot i've always joked that uh, that muse's records are like alex jones the musical depending on which epoch of (laughs) alex jones you're dealing with so, earlier in their career, when they did Black Holes and Revelations, there's a bunch of songs on there, like, the government's coming to get you. They're going to assassinate everybody. Alex Jones, 2005. That's when that record came right. out. Then there's <laughs> Resistance. Are there any songs about gay frogs? No, not yet. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hearing good things about the new record that's coming out. <laughs> and then, like, later, they did the like, Resistance record, which is like, all about, like, a shadowy government thing, that's staging sort of a coup. And that's, like, Alex Jones, when he breaks into bohemian grove and then there's simulation (laughs) theory which is about the whole idea that the world that we're in is a simulation it's all big computer program and none of us are real which is alex jones of like 2013 so so (laughs) their their career tracks with the craziest man on the internet which is i guess i don't know if that's good (laughs) but it's a thing I
0: listened to this new album today. I listened to it you know, from cover to cover. Mm-hmm.
1: And it starts
0: off with the title track, with the will of the people, the will of the people. And you know, this song sucks canal water. I messaged you instantly. I was like, oh, good pick.
1: <laughs> yes, I remember.
0: And then you're like, oh, no, the rest of the album is actually pretty good, though, right? So I get over to the second song called Compliance. Yeah. And let me tell you, not a step up.
1: No, that one step that, up at that, all. That one had had Will of the People not been on this record, we definitely would have been talking about Compliance because Compliance is a terrible song. <laughs> it's a one note song. It overstays its welcome by a solid minute. It's a bridge between terrible uh, Will of the People, uh, slightly less terrible Compliance, and then the next song, which I th- it's not Ghosts, but it's like li- um, no, it's, is it it's Liberation, liberation. Yeah, yeah, Liberation, yeah. which is a really yeah. good song. And then uh, you the know album what? picks up from there. For me, the
0: album didn't get good until track five, which is a song called Ghosts, How Can I Move On, that was a which great is a, song, real, yeah. a real pretty song on the piano that I was actually saying, you know what, I'm going to try to learn this one in the ukulele. I like that. <laughs> and <then> the- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to try and learn how on a kazoo. <laughs> yeah. Go f*** yourself, okay? So no cuz i like to siddling around and noodling <laughs> know, on the ukulele I'm you know, teasing, so teasing. i was like yeah i want to play around with that one uh the next song right up my alley is called you make me feel like halloween and that song was kind of cool but the last song of the album is called we are fucking fucked yeah and i i really like that song i was like this is
1: cool yeah. it kind of
0: reminded me of um almost like a less abrasive ministry
1: yeah it's like that i mean the last song is pretty much a novelty song because with the lyrical content, it'll never be on the radio, even in Britain. Right. And it sort of sums up the general album as a whole. Like, every song on that album is a downer, thematically down. It sucks. Like, yep. the world is garbage, we're all going to die, they're going to come get us, cetera, blah, blah, and then we're f***ing fucked. <laughs> and, and that's really how the concept plays out. I don't know what Matt Bellamy was going for with this, but it was like, the Feel Bad album of 2022. I don't know, but...
0: I know, you Uh, want to call him up like, hey man, you good? Yeah, yeah, are
1: you okay? like, I just want to do, I'm doing a wellness check.
0: You want to go to David Buster's, you know, (laughs) play some whack-a-mole or something? Jesus, get out of the house, dude.
1: I was going to go get a burrito, Taco Bell. I don't even like Taco Bell, but yeah, I'll bring one to you. All right,
0: I don't want to end on a down note, I want to end on an up note. I want to end on the answer to our very popular and always well-received Chari question. Hey, Jeff.
1: Oh, this is the piano question, isn't it?
0: Yes, instruments fall under different classifications. Yes, there's woodwinds. There are there's there's uh, brass, brass instruments. There's yes. there's percussion instruments. There there's are stringed indeed. instruments. Yes,
1: what category is a piano? I don't know. I guess it's a. St- it's not really a stringed instrument because the big the big harp on the inside is strings, and it's not a percussion instrument because the keys, like a typewriter, move percussives. I know that you can play chords on it, so maybe it's a like a... Um, I don't know if it has a name, but like chord... Chorded? <laughs> chord, I don't know, chord instrument, something like that. Uh, All, right. I <laughs> All, right. I All right. Am, I, go, am I going done. too far into the weirdness? Yeah, maybe. Pick one. Uh, strings. It is possibly
0: a stringed instrument because you are playing strings, like you said. Right. But it is... Officially classified as a percussion instrument,
1: ah, because you got to punch the keys.
0: Yeah, because you're playing it the same way you would be playing a xylophone or marimba. So the piano is considered a percussion instrument. Ah, and if you want to, you know, argue that point, take the strings out and make it a synthesizer, it's still a percussion instrument.
1: Right. I'm. I'm, You're not going to get an argument from me.
0: Okay. But that is going to wrap up the show for... Yeah, I'm not going to get an argument out of you you because you can't argue facts. It's a fact. You don't have to argue facts.
1: That's true.
0: But that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff.
1: Uh, Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody.
0: Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibley, where this week was way better last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram using twwbly. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, when you tell your friends and get them to listen to Twibley, it makes you popular always well received.